Let me remind you of this. Um, Brother Gene Ross will be buried tomorrow. His service is at 11 at Crew. Crew Crow. His service is tomorrow at 11 at Crow. And uh, so I just want to remind you of that, share that with you. Um, because as we go through this time and we uh, give thanks for fathers, you know, there are some families who are in the process of saying goodbye to fathers and some who have said goodbye to fathers long ago. And so it's a time to be sensitive to all different stages of what it is that's happening. And so um, we're thankful for our Father who loves us and we seek to give Him praise and honor and glory. And so with that in mind, let us um, look here at 1 Timothy 6. We have been looking at the book of 1 Timothy for the last several weeks. Uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We've gone all through this. And we looked at chapter 6 last time at the concept of choosing certain things over other things. For example, choosing godliness and contentment rather than greed. Choosing to be content with what God has given us rather than being consumed with the things of this world, material pleasures, that type of thing. We looked at that last time. Tonight, what I want us to do is look at this, this is one paragraph, verses 11 through 16. So 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. But in this short paragraph, you're, you're going to see all different kinds of action words. Run away from this. Pursue this. Confess about this. So just all this different types of action that we're called to do. Numerous activities we're to be involved in if we're going to be God's people, God's man, God's woman, being the kind of people that God would have us to be. Uh, so as we look at this, uh, we're going to see there's some things that we're to embrace, right? Some things that we're to give all kinds of energy to, to go and get and hold on to and keep. And there's other things we're to give lots of energy getting away from. Uh, so let's read the paragraph together, and then we'll go back and make, make certain comments. So read with me, 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 11. And I want you to be listening for this as we go through it. Look for the, the action that's being uh, presented. It'll make a difference to you. As for you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now we won't even cover every single one of these, but I hope that you saw in that period of time where we read through that, that paragraph. See, there's action everywhere. Action in this paragraph. Action in the room. Uh, we won't even cover all of them. We'll hit a number of them, but we won't be able to hit every single one to the degree that maybe I, I would like to, that, uh, that we would hope to do in another time. But look at that very first one, sort of the negative idea that is about 
fleeing, running away from, getting away from. Right there in verse 11, he says, flee these things, man of God. Well, that sort of leaves us asking, asking a question, flee what things? What do you mean? Run away from, get away from what? Because right here in this one paragraph we read, he doesn't tell us that. In the near context, I think he's referring back to just the, the paragraph right before. You might see there in verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, he talks about if there's someone who teaches a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the sound words of Jesus, you're going to have to stay away from, from that person. So there's one thing to flee. Flee different doctrine. Flee, run away from, get away from, distance yourself from false doctrine. Get away from the kinds of ideas and things being taught that Jesus would never teach. So if it's not something that Jesus likes, if it's not something that Jesus would preach, if it's not something that Jesus would embrace, we need to get away from it. So when he says, flee these things, man of God, one of those things we're to flee are the things that Jesus wouldn't teach. The second thing would be this. In verse 4, he speaks of the person who's uh, conceited and doesn't understand and has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for fighting about words, and doing all of those kinds of things. It says produces envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions. So there's something else to flee. Flee unnecessary controversy. Now notice that doesn't mean don't ever stand up for what's right. That doesn't mean run away from all types of controversy. The Bible is clear in numerous different places, whether it's the letter of Jude or uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, or over and over again, wherever it might be, we are to take stands. Paul said, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. In other words, I'm ready to teach the truth and stand for the truth. This says run away from unhealthy, unneeded controversies. Don't be the kind of person who just fights to fight. Don't be the kind of person who just argues and has to be right about everything. That's exhausting, and nobody wants to be around that. He says that leads to envy and, and slander and all these other things. Man, run away from that. Don't be that. Be the person who stands up for what's right. Don't ever compromise the truth. Teach and spread the truth, but don't be this person who causes strife and envy. Run away from that. And then there's this in verse 9. He speaks of those who seek to be rich and what happens there is you fall into temptation and, and snares and all these other things that just plunge you into ruin and destruction. So in other words, run away from, flee from greed. So in this near context, we might say, when he says, man of God, flee these things, he's saying get away from the false doctrine, get away from all the controversy and the envy, and get away from the greed, distance yourself from that. But in other parts of Scripture, we would see very similar ideas, very similar concepts. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, this time, instead of Paul writing to Timothy, this time Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he says, flee idolatry, run away from with all speed, get away from idolatry, distance yourself from those things that would come between you and God, get away from those things that you give more attention to and more devotion to than you do to God, get rid of them, topple them, run away from them. And then also in 1 Corinthians, this time in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to flee sexual immorality. Run away from, get away from, distance yourself from sexual immorality. He would say this, 2 Timothy 2.22. Look at this with me. Go over just a page or so. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You remember that time in Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph 
literally ran away from Potiphar's wife. He took this type of a message, he took this type of a command from God and did it with all of his energy. There she was, hands on him, hands on his clothing, stay. And he ran. He fled from sexual immorality. He got out of there. In the short term, it led to some difficult consequences, led to some pain and heartache for him. But in the long run, it led to him being faithful, led to him being blessed and rewarded by Almighty God because he did what was right. So that's the first thing, the first bit of action here. 1 Timothy 6, he says, flee these things. Get away from those things that would drag you away from God and keep you down. But then he, he switches gears. He does a 180, if you will, and he says, flee these things. But in 1 Timothy 6, 11, he says, but pursue, chase after, give all energy to obtaining these other things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Those are the types of things that every single one of us, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, wherever you might be, if you're a person that can hear my voice and read the scripture and understand it, these are the kinds of things that you and I ought to be seeking after. I want to be righteous. I know I can only be made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, and so I want to live there. I want to be godly. I want to be more like him. I'll be more devoted to him. I want to be the kind of person who seeks to praise him and worship him in a way that uplifts him and makes him proud and happy and full of joy. I want to be a person who's more faithful, faithful to my wife, to my children, to my church family, to my God. Be a faithful person, full of love, steadfast, meaning that you're, you're there. It's not that you can be counted on one day, but not the next, but every day, a rock. I failed in that area a million times, and I don't want to anymore. I want to be more steadfast. I want to be more like what Paul's calling Timothy to do. And then finally, he says, and be gentle. You go through all of these things, righteous, godly, faithful, loving, steadfast, but do it with a spirit of gentleness. Chase after that. Pursue that. Have that as your life goals, if you will. And he goes on. There in verse 12, then he, the next bit of action is this, and fight the good fight of faith. Some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth struggling for. Some things are worth going through hard things for. Your righteousness, your godliness, your faith, these things are worth fighting for. And so he says, fight the good fight of faith. Keep on defending what's true. Keep on proclaiming what's true. Keep on doing what's difficult, taking those flaming arrows and those barbs from all the different places where they might come. Keep fighting. Don't give in. Never, ever, ever give in. And nothing great or small. That's what Winston Churchill said, right? Don't ever give in. He says, keep fighting the fight of faith. And then there's this, the next bit of action. And take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's in the middle of verse 12. Take hold of eternal life. This is something I think we hear a lot of sermons about fighting the good fight of faith. We often talk about those things when we talk about you know, standing up, and that's right, and that's biblical, and we should. But something we don't emphasize as much is this. Take hold of eternal life. You don't even know what that means? I know you've heard about fighting the good fight, but have you heard about this? You've read it just as many times. It's right next to it. It's back to back in the text. Take hold of eternal life. Embrace it. Live it. Act like you know that heaven is your home. Because here's what you need to know. Here's what Timothy knew. Here's what Paul was stressing to Timothy. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus the Christ. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've been taken from the kingdom of darkness and added to the kingdom of the Son. 
That's where you dwell. That's where you live. And that's the message you proclaim. And you know Jesus is your mediator, your intercessor, your savior. Act like it. Embrace it. Live it each morning. When you get up in the morning, take hold of eternal life. Live like you know you've been saved. Live like you know the heaven's your home. Live like you know that Jesus is really and truly interceding for you even now. Live like you really believe Jesus is your Savior. Jesus would say in several places, what's Revelation 1.17, Matthew 10.31, again and again and again, Jesus would say to his disciples, fear not. Don't be afraid. So instead of cowering in fear, saying, oh, if today's the last day, I hope that I've done enough. I hope I've you know, knocked on enough doors. I hope I've done enough good deeds. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Take hold of eternal life. Live as if you know that you've been forgiven. Live as if you believe it. Too many of us fail right here in this spot. I'm happy to stand up and fight the good fight of faith. But then when you put the sword down, you say, hope that was a strong enough fight. Take hold of eternal life and live like you know it. You've been called, and this, this is the next part. Because what we need to understand here is that Christianity is not passive. It's not just something that, that happens. You may think, well, I hope it happened to me, or maybe it did, maybe it didn't. We're told in places like 1 Peter 3.11 to seek peace and pursue it. We're told in Isaiah 55, verse 6, to seek the Lord while it may be found. And in like fashion, we are told to take hold of eternal life. And that brings us to this in verses 12 and 13. Because if you've embraced this next part if you have made the good confession stood before family and friends and god himself and made the good confession then you have begun that life of, of embracing and taking hold of eternal life and, and you should be living it read these verses again 12 and 13 he says fight the good fight he says take hold of eternal life about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses and so look at 13 so I charge you, based upon that confession that you made in the presence of many witnesses, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, even he, even Jesus the Christ, made the good confession. So he says, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained. Now we'll come to that in a moment. But I wanted to see how they all sort of work together. Now, when it comes to the good confession, we know, let's, let's, let's think about this for a moment. When it comes to making a good confession, we know that sometimes it's the case that the Bible speaks of confession as to having to do with pertaining to confessing sins we've committed. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Uh, James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another, pray for each other so you might be healed. So sometimes, very clearly, the Bible says we're to confess with our mouths that we've sinned. Here's what I've done wrong. Here's what I need to be forgiven for. Here's where I need help. But that's not what this means. When it speaks of the good confession here, this is not talking about publicly admitting and, and confessing and coming clean on sins we've committed. The good confession here is very different. It's very specific to one thing, and that's to confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You know, we commonly have people, when they want to obey the gospel, when they want to be cleansed of sins, when they want to be added to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we commonly have them stand before others, whoever might be there, 
and we take their confession. Most of the time, when, traditionally, we've said something like this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he is who he claimed to be? Do you believe that he's the Lord who raised on the third day, walked out of the tomb? Do you believe that? And they're supposed to say, yes, I believe from the depths of my soul. I believe that that is true. I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that Jesus is my Lord. I believe he died for me and now lives for me. I believe he's the Christ. It's indicated here in 1 Timothy that even Jesus made that confession. Now that may sound strange to our ears at first to think that he participated in, in something that's the same thing that we do. I believe Jesus is the Lord. Well, how did he make the good confession? It says that he did it before Pilate. This is what it means. Jesus, in front of Pilate and all those others who may have been there, Jesus admitted that he was the divine, the special, the unique son of God. Jesus admitted he was the king. Remember, we read about that here in 1 Timothy 6. Jesus Christ, king of kings, Lord of lords. In John chapter 18, where the record, the holy record tells us about Jesus and his trial and the things he said to Pilate and the things Pilate said to him. In John 18, 37, Pilate says to Jesus, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, and this is an unusual way for him to answer, but he said this, you say that I'm a king. In other words, I think this is what he's saying. You got that right. You got that right. You say that I'm a king. You're right, I am. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. I'm the king who speaks, and my people follow. I'm the king who directs, and my citizens, my subjects, my kingdom, they follow. I'm the king. And so he made that confession there before Pilate. The same confession that you and I must make. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one. He is my hope. In Philippians 2.11, the Bible speaks to the fact that there's coming a day where not only every knee will bow, but it says in Philippians 2.11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You either do it now or you do it later. And so what Paul is calling on Timothy to do here is this. Recall that confession that you made before others. You were in the presence of many others. Maybe his, maybe his family. You know, Paul writes about uh, Timothy's, Timothy's family. Maybe there were others there, neighbors, people who loved him, people who had helped teach him the law and teach him things about God. He said, you made this confession about Jesus the Lord before many witnesses. And so now he's saying, what you must do is I'm calling on you to live up to that confession. The day that you were baptized into Christ, you made a commitment and you made a confession. Through the years, right here in this place, we've had many come up one of these aisles, and come up to one of these front rows and make the good confession. There have been many who've, who've made the confession in my office. There have been many in the detention center and things like that. And on and on it goes. I hope that you can recall. Do you remember where you were when you made the good confession? Do you remember where you were? Who was it that asked you if you believed that Jesus really and truly was the Lord? How did you answer it? Did you say it with conviction? Did you say it loudly? You remember the feeling with which you said it. But when you said, I believe that Jesus is the Lord, you were saying not only that in that one moment for that one time that he was your savior, but you were also saying he's your master and he's your leader and that you would go on obeying him. 
You were also saying that you admitted he was your provider and your protector and that you would go on trusting him. And so what Paul says to Timothy here is, remember that good confession that you made? I'm now calling upon you. I am charging you now to live up to it. Because if you really believe that Jesus is your Lord and you confess that before many witnesses once upon a time, you're going to fight the good fight. You're going to flee idolatry and sexual immorality. You're going to pursue godliness and peacefulness and love. You're going to pursue those things. You're going to do all the things you've been called to do. I'm calling on you to remember that confession. And so I wonder how we're doing this night. How are we doing with these things? Are we living up to our confession? Read it one more time. Verse 12. You're to fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He said, so based upon that, I charge you in the presence of God. So now it's not just about those who are within earshot, those who are within seeing distance. He says, I call on you as we stand here before God, the infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God, I call upon you, I charge you in the presence of God, the very one who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, he says, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the final action that we want to think about. He says, I charge you to remember your good confession and in, upon doing so, to keep this message and this name unstained. Keep unstained and keep from free from reproach the commandment that our Lord has given. Protect the name of Jesus. Protect the reputation of the church of Jesus. He said to Timothy, there better not be anything that you do. Things that you do, things you refuse to do. There better not be anything that you do that brings a bad light, casts a bad light, brings a bad name upon the name of Jesus Christ and his church. We don't want to do or say or in, do or say anything that might keep others away. We don't want to be the repellent that keeps people from being attracted to the beauty of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be the ones who might mislead someone to where they don't understand or know Jesus the Christ. And here's the scary thing about that. Maybe not scary, just serious thing about that we're to keep this name and this message and this commandment pure and clean and unstained and here's why he says because the lord's coming back he said there's coming a time you have to do this keep it unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the lord jesus who, who will be displayed who will be seen who will be heard at the proper time just like he was born of a woman, Galatians chapter 4, born at the perfect time in history, he's going to come back at just the right time in history. At the proper time, he will be seen. At the proper time, all knees will bow. At the proper time, all tongues will confess that there he is, Jesus the Lord. And so because he's coming back for judgment, you and I must be doing all the things that we can to keep his commandments pure, clean, holy, heard, loved, embraced. And then there's this. It's not just that the Lord's coming back for judgment. Okay, that's, that's ominous. He's coming back to judge. So be ready. It's not just that. I want you to see that the, the Scripture here 
depicts this as both heavy, ominous, and that he's coming back, but also beautiful. There's some ways to inspire that we say, here, I want you to do this so you avoid punishment. There's also other ways to inspire to say, here, I want you to do this because it's the best. I want you to do this because this is what will put you in contact with that which is just truly mind-blowingly beautiful. Which would you rather be a part of? That which is beautiful and lovely and wonderful or that which is ugly and gross and disgusting? I mean, you know, to say that out loud is easy to understand, right? And so this is the picture. Look at this. Look at how amazingly beautiful he depicts the, the return of the Lord. He'll be displayed at the proper time. This is the middle of verse 15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. No one ever has, no one has seen or can see. He's in this position of being matchless. He's in this position of being unlike anyone else we've ever known or thought of. So amazing, so perfect, so wonderful that it says he's the one who deserves honor and eternal dominion. He's matchlessly wonderful. He's matchlessly beautiful. So he is eternally worthy of honor and praise. Amen. And so he says, Timothy, he says, church, South Green Street, church at Ephesus, he says, church, you're to run away from certain things and pursue other things. You're to give all of your energy, all your thought, all your muscles, all your all your attention to embracing certain things. And part of it is this. Part of it is approaching the unapproachable. Part of it is perceiving the unseeable. And He wants us to be a part of that which is matchlessly beautiful. That is the motivation. Not just the judgment. Yes, Jesus is coming back. Yes, we'll give an account for what we've done. But He's saying, I want you to do these things. I want you to pursue these things because you want to be in contact with and you want to dwell in that which is perfectly beautiful when jesus said in john 14 i'm going away but i'm preparing something we re we speak of mansions and, and jesus was saying this i'm going to prepare something that is matchlessly beautiful in in revelation 21 and 22 john would as he was guided by the spirit would try to, to write about these things you know the streets of gold and the, and the gates of pearl he was trying to say this is matchlessly beautiful and so here, Paul says to Timothy, don't bring negative images or names or cast dispersions upon the perfect command of God. Instead, live in such a way that others see and know how beautiful it really is. That's what we're called to do. Run from that which is ugly and despicable and sinful and run towards that which is beautiful and righteous and good. You're called to do that even tonight. Paul said to Timothy, I'm calling on you to flee these things and pursue these others. Right now, this minute, the Lord is calling on you to pursue Him. He wants you to pursue His holiness and His beauty. If there's any way that we can help you, if it means we need to, to pray with you, or if we can take your confession, if you can stand before the presence of these witnesses and say, I believe Jesus is the Lord who conquered death and rose from the grave on the third day, and I commit to living for Him forevermore, even now. And then we can wash you in a watery grave. Your sins will be forgiven by God Himself. If we can help you in any of these ways, we call on you. Pursue that which is good while together we stand and sing.